0: I started off this year with two topicals on the Holy Spirit and prayer. It's been a lot of time talking about it. I want to do one another one in October. But majority of the time you will find us spending time just in the Word of God and having you understand the Bible. Having you understand the Bible. The, the longer I'm in ministry, the more illiterate I see we are as Christians. We have no concept of what actually is in the Bible or to the context by which it's in. We know Scriptures, and that's good. I, I don't want to take away from that. But we rarely know the context from which the Scripture was given. That's why when we see it on a coffee mug, we're like, this is an awesome scripture. I'm totally going to buy for this coffee mug for this scripture, right? My favorite one is like, behold, I'm doing a new thing. You know, like, oh, yeah, that's a great one. Have you read before it? Yeah. Do you read what the new thing was? Because it's not what you think it is. Usually it's like, oh, behold, God's doing a new thing in my life. It's going to be great. Yeah, I hope it was better than what happened to Habakkuk where you got that scripture. Because for Habakkuk, it meant that the Babylonians were coming in, that we're going to take over Jerusalem and destroy the walls. That's what that new thing was. Uh, so it like helps you to read the Bible so you don't fall into prey on some of these things. That being said, we're going to start, uh, uh, this morning in John chapter 13, but you can go ahead and just stay in Colossians. I'll, I'll get there in John 13, uh, it's the night before the crucifixion. So Jesus, uh, creates this new commandment, uh, and he, and he basically records this intimate, John 13 records this intimate, uh, moment. And this new commandment is designed in such a way, um, to become a standardization of what Christian life should be, all right? So this is going to be the new norm. I've, you know, Jesus says, I'm not here here to take away from these things, but I am giving you a new commandment on the, on the edge or the night of my death here, the night before I'm crucified, okay? I'm meeting with you, we're having supper. Uh, I, I, I want to tell you this one thing, uh, and uh, this is what he ends up saying, in John thirteen thirty three through 35, again, you don't have to turn there, but this is where I'm beginning this morning. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. All right? By the way, you, you, my adults in here know this. The closer we get, the more we understand that last words are important. Sometimes the last thing you say. Especially, you know, as our kids, even as my kids get older, I start to realize as they're going to college, Reagan's going to Ryla this week, I want to pray for her today. Uh, as she's, she's driven out there and she's at camp all week, she's stressed out and everything. And, and the, the more my kids are older now, and the last time, these become like, hey, that's not the last time I see her. But now every time I think like that, right? I just want to make sure I tell you I love you, right? <laughs> right? Because I don't, I mean, last words mean a lot. L- last words mean a lot. So uh, Jesus said this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just, not, and that's, I wish that was the end of it, but it's not. It says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Man, how we conduct ourselves, how we express our love for one another is what's going to reveal to the world the glory of Jesus Christ. Think about the world we live in now. And We wonder why it's void of Christ. I saw two Christians beating up each other on a debate the other day, uh, online, and it was about uh, the uh, illegal immigrants down there at the border. You have one person going, "How can you say you're a Christian and not care for these people who are thrown into these cages?" And da 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 da. And then the other one's like, "What are you talking about? You know, man. There was a there's a gate in heaven. There's I mean all this stuff that people say. Oh my goodness. And and uh there just was no love in it. And I wanted to say, neither one of you are saved. How do you treat each other? I was like, how come we can't do both? You know, th- this was my comment, and they both end up thanking me. <laughs> I said, how come we can't do both? How come you who feel called to help the people down at the cages, you can't help them, they're illegal. But what you can do is go, hey, uh, immigration services and all that, and contact them, what things could you need that help make their stay better? Or make it easier for your job? Because if they're more comfortable, maybe they're less bothering you. Right? Maybe we could bring food down there that takes the, takes the weight off the government paying for all these things. And maybe as a, as, a, as a Christian you could do the thing by trying to ease their time while they've done things that are against our laws. The other part of that is you are a Christian. You are called to obey the laws of this land. You are called to listen and submit to those who are in authority above you. So this other person is not necessarily wrong either. Maybe they feel called to help. They were like, what up because their big comment back was, why don't we helping all these homeless veterans when we've got all these illegals? Why are we pushing money there? Right? Well, it sounds like God's got a calling in you too. Guess what? You should put your finances towards. Why why does it have to be it's either one or the other? Why can't it be both? Because we want to be right more than we want to love somebody. And the irony is like we're always trying to like pitch somebody else our vision and, and that's just how it is. But God said. It's through and by love that we will reveal His glory to everyone else. So it's an easy word, but it's hard to practice. To love our fellow man or woman means that we must become a student of patience and kindness. Think about that. How many of you pray for patience? I remember um, one of my mentor's wives going, I never pray for patience. <laughs> God is freely gives that out like candy. Um, we must work to secure pride and rude behavior, you know, when you're acting a certain way. I'm going to tell you, go, go out to eat and get slow service and see how you act. Some of you get hangry really bad, right? I've seen people who get hangry. I mean, you wait an hour long for your food and you've been smelling everybody's food for an hour, you're like, I'll straight up kill a fool to get some food up in here. Act like you come from a foreign country and ain't never had no food in your life, too. That's crazy. But we need to secure pride and behavior. We must believe and have faith in each other, always being hopeful and optimistic. This is like a summary of Paul's written work in 1 Corinthians, right? It's his masterpiece when he talks about love. That's the litmus test of, 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 the, of the qualifications of what godly love looks like. And, and Jesus says, this is the quality of how we will be known. This, your reputation, will be one as such that people will know that you belong to me based off how you treat and talk to one another. Listen, how you treat one another works into the way you talk because if your heart is corrupt, you can fake it all you want, but eventually your mouth will get the best of you. And you might not say it out loud what it'll come out and it's a gossip, and then everybody just knows that you're not saved because you're a gossiper, right? Or, or it'll just come out as meanness anyway, and you'll be a Christian by your voice and not by your actions. So... And this love here, it's different. There would be a difference between us and the world. It would be a a witness and a testimony to the world that Jesus is real and alive. They would see him through us, right? This mysterious thing that somehow has happened now between us, right? As the book of Acts begins, we see this same top deal, right? In the upper room, here's this group of believers who believe in Christ, who come together. I'm going to tell you what, put a whole bunch of people and cramp them in a small room. You'll find out who's loving Real quick, right? And we see that, right? And and what happens from the overpouring of that, when you put that kind of people who are working to discipline themselves towards love, what ends up happening? Acts 2 ends up happening, right? The Holy Spirit comes, right? Now God is using that love that's within them to pour themselves out. And what does love look like at that point? People start to realize that something is happening because these people are selling their lands and then taking the money and giving it to the poor and letting the poor eat, right? All of a sudden they've made themselves poor so they become equal. Right? And the church begins to grow, and we see it over and over in Paul's letters that loving each other wasn't always easy, right? Look at the epistles. It's not always easy. It, it isn't always romantic, all right? They're poor. I mean, the great, we, we talk about Acts 2 and Acts 3 and, 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 and Barabbas and all these guys giving up their lands and stuff, right? You know, what we forget that in the rest of the epistles, who's panhandling for money? Jerusalem, because they're poor. They gave all their money away. Right? So all the wealthy people who had money, they just gave it all away. So now there's no money because they spent it all because there's always going to be poor. right? And so Paul's going around going, I'm taking collections for home base. Home base is not doing so well because they gave all their money up for the poor. But if they hadn't, there wouldn't be no other bases. All right? So it's not a bad thing. It's the sovereignty of God at work. All right? It was meant to be. Welcome to revival. Right? The church begins to face difficulties in navigating this new commandment. And so Paul goes to work defining love, 1 Corinthians 13, right? Explaining how this whole thing is going to work, this new command works. He goes to work in every heart of a believer, in every aspect of relational connection. And in the Colossians, it's no exception. He spends literally uh, uh, the majority of his time in the first three chapters just discussing the fact that you're transformed, right? Which is, you know what it's to say? What does that imply? If he has to spend three chapters, go, go back and read what the, we've studied. We've almost repeated ourselves three times about transforming us into a new creation. What do you think the Colossians struggled with? They were Christian by mouth, but not by action, not by deed, right? Because they weren't acting in such a way that showed the transformed life. So when I see that into somebody, I preach to it, right? When a pastor sees sin in the congregation, what does he end up doing? He preaches to it we address the issue we address the problem you know we see disease we go to disease we try to destroy disease we get the disease out right period that's how it works and so for paul being in colossians looking at Colossians, it's implied that paul is dealing with the people who love to say that they're christian who are benefiting from being a christian they say it with their mouth but unfortunately their lives do not live in such a way that really shows their christianity well, what would that look like? Well, it starts out with the very first easy one, John 13. Do they have love for one another? Is there a lot of gossiping? Is there a lot of backbiting? What do the, what are, what are the relationships look like inside the church? I mean, these are questions that should be valid questions you should ask to the Col- Colossian church. Something has got back to Paul that says, hey, these guys are struggling. These guys are not only struggling in loving each other, but they're struggling in their marriages. They're struggling in their relationship with their kids. They're struggling in their workplace. They're, str- they're struggling to identify and understand how to love other people. Even themselves. The transformed life is a struggle for them. And this is where we're at in Colossians 3 at verse 18. And I'm going to read all the way into the very first verse of chapter 4. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Never treat them harshly children always obey your parents for this pleases the lord fathers do not aggravate your children or they'll become discouraged slaves obey your earthly masters in everything you do try to please them all the time not just when they're watching you serve them sincerely because you're of your reverent fear for the lord work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the lord rather than for people Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and, th- and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God is no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray real quick. Father, this Lord, we take this time now, and as we have planted your word, the word we were uh, meant to be at today and arrived to today, by your sovereign will lord i would pray now that this word would transform itself within our heart that it would start out it might start out as a seed lord but as we plant lord you water god it will grow and you will allow it to shape us shape our way of thinking and bring us understanding and wisdom that's beyond this world in jesus name amen so individually, we're to love each other. This is the new commandment. This is literally Jesus's last request before the cross, but it's a hard one for us, mainly because of our selfishness, right? Our self-centered heart works against us daily. It shows up in all other areas of our relational connection as well. It shows up at our, uh, 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 in our marriages. It shows up in our kids. It shows up in our workplace. And apparently this was the case also for the Colossians. Uh, which by the way one of the reasons i love reading a lot about the epistles or the letters to the churches because the fact is that they're normal right i mean that's what it shows us right there's this there's a time and and quite often as pastors uh if we're not careful we'll romanticize the bible well man the bible back in those days it was perfect man you are out of your mind (laughs) It is nowhere near perfect. Man, most of the Bible's telling us everywhere we've done wrong. If you don't find the depravity of men in the Bible, you are totally have not read the Bible. It is, it is full of messed up situations and messed up issues. And this is one of them right here, right? Which, by the way, that just gives me hope that God's still working with the people who don't have it right. They don't have it all together, right? These were some of the first churches, and they still don't have it right. There's a lot to learn, right? So Paul begins with marriages. And I think it's a great place to start. There's a great misconception uh, uh, one thing, I, I, as I study here, there's a great misconception in the statistics of divorce uh, of Christian couples. I came across a study done by Focus on the Family um, that had to look into these statistics that reveal that the divorce rate in the world and the church were, you know, relatively the same. They wanted to look into some of that because there's some that say, well, it's not 50-50. It's more like uh, uh, it's more like 65 or whatever like that. We actually do a lot better, but. They discovered one thing I thought was interesting, that the majority of Christian divorces were couples who identified as Christians but not necessarily as practicing disciples, nor did they attend regularly to church. That's what they found out. They were looking at, so they wanted to look into some of this. Why is it that people are saying they're Christians and they're getting divorced and and what is happening there? Well, like number one is they, they are Christian mostly by voice, like mostly by their mouth. They say it, but they're not... It right by the way, are we not seeing that in Colossians? This whole idea of I got to teach you about the transforming power. Why? Because you're saying that you're saved and you're you're talking the right talk, but I'm not seeing it in your actions, you know? I'm not seeing it. You're not you're not being nice to the waitress. You're not being nice to your neighbor. You're not loving others like you should. You're still all about you. I haven't seen the shift in your life. You know, repentance or to return means to turn around. Go another. That's the whole idea of transformation. I am transformed. This is the old me. Now it's the new me. It's a totally different person. You should be acting different, talking different, walking different. I know it's not easy. That's a process. You know, Sometimes some people are big boats. Some people are small boats. What I mean by that is whip a bass boat around. You can get around pretty quick. Whip a a, a, a carnival cruise thing around. You can be out there a while. It's going to take a long time to whip that thing around. All right, Those things just don't turn around on the dime like that. It it takes time, and I get that, and there's a process. But there is this same thing that's kind of happening here in the Colossians church. They also found out that marriage success in the church, they were directly related to couples who attended church regularly and were actively involved in a prayer life together. Majority of successful marriages involved couples who prayed together and attended church together. In other words, those who were proactive in learning, growing and maturing in Christ were more likely to to succeed in loving one another in Christ. This is why you have to be active with the body of believers. Listen, nope, church will never be church attendance will never be, or equal salvation. but it's, it is not smart, dare I say, dumb, to not be active in a church, some form of church by the way let's define that church is a body of believers that come together and worship Jesus Christ right i don't care how you get that done whether it's in a home whether it's in a tiny place like this whether it's in a big church ter- you need to be with a group of believers right who worship and believe and want to grow mature and learn in Christ that is the church right people who do that people who do that are successful in their relationships period Period, because you're being transformed into. You spent the first. That's the whole first three chapters. You're transformed into Christ. You're being Christ now to others. In stepping forward in this area, Paul's straightforward with the role of a wife. He says that she should submit to your husband. Submission. Now, there's no easy word, right? Right. I just. I didn't even want to look over to my wife. Right when I said that word. I know I didn't want to. I was like, I tried not to, and then I was like, going to. So the very word begin, like, begs rebellion from the flesh, just about. I mean, I, I could tell you somebody's like, we need you to submit. I'm like, I will show you submission. You know, like, like I mean, just the very word just like begs it out of me, submission. Uh, because to submit means to yield to another, one's, uh, to another person's admonition or advice. And I'm not sure how the, uh, that the flesh is wired like that to submit at times. Submission is usually feels something forced or rarely is done voluntarily. And yet here is Paul asking wives to submit to their husbands. And this isn't Paul's first rodeo with this statement, right? No, he's provided this. This ain't like, by the way, it's like not the only church. Like, oh, the Colossian church struggled with marriages. Uh Uh-uh. Man, so did the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 5, you don't have to turn to it, but verse 22 through 24 says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands husbands as to the Lord. For your husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. There's not the first place, right? So wives are to submit to their husbands as they would unto the Lord. And this isn't to say that your husband is Lord over you, all right? Guys, you don't get to use that as an excuse, all right? But just as you were called to serve him as joyfully, as faithfully as you would to the Lord. That's what he's saying. Right? This doesn't make you less. Actually, quite the contrary. Your life becomes the testimony of Jesus to your husband. Because, man, he was king and could have lorded it over all, but he chose the role of a servant, of a submission. And submitted himself to everyone else. Right? As Christ faithfully served and submitted, though he didn't have to, he became the walking testimony, and so will you. So will you. King Lemuel's mother once sat down uh, the, the young king and explained to him what a good godly wife would look like. I don't know if you've heard of King Lemuel. Uh, so when the time came to go find one, he would know what to look for. This was kind of her list, right? When mom tells you, hey, this is the kind of wife I need you to look for, right? This is mom's list, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase this, right? This is what mom, uh, King Lemuel's mother told him. She said, she said, she said this, uh, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing. A good wife is precious, because her husband can trust her, all right? She will enrich her husband's life. She sows seeds of goodness. She is busy in the, day, uh, uh, the day-to-day stuff that creates a better home for the family. She's a hard worker, and she thinks of everyone in her household. She's wise in her words and is smart about what she says. She is strong, and her hope is always in the Lord. Because of this, she is the prize of the house. All right, Now that's me paraphrasing it, right? But that sounds about right. That sounds like an awesome way of saying this is what a good wife would look like, right? That's also called, uh, if you hadn't guessed it, Proverbs 31. That's where that comes from. That's, that's God who decided, you know what? This was good advice. Let's go ahead and leave that in the book, right? Mm-hmm. So that men, when they're looking for a wife, this is what you should be looking for, a wife like this. That when she lives in such a way, when she lives in this submission As serving faithfully as she would unto the Lord She becomes the most valuable possession in the home Most valuable possession in the home And by the way, and any guy I'll tell you that, that uh, has a hobby or anything that he loves when, when a guy has something he loves, he cherishes it And I promise you, for all the hobbies I have There's nothing that can take the place of my wife And I, I venture to say that if you're married you feel the same way as well just how it is. Paul doesn't stop there. Uh, I could just sit there and just stand on uh, the wife thing, but let's let's keep moving. He doesn't stop there. He he presses in onto husbands, reminding them that that if our wives are to submit to us, then we better be worthy of their submission. You don't get to get out of it. It's like, yeah, submit to me. No, it's not like that. You got to be worthy of the submission. We had better treat them right. The first command Paul gives is that we love them. Now, again, this same love Paul's already defined in First Corinthians thirteen—one that's patient and kind and never rude and never boastful. He's already described what this thing is. This same love that sacrifices and is willing to die for her. Again, in Ephesians, Paul talks about this again. Verse 25 to 33, he says, For husbands, this means... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. I think it's interesting that it twice, it's just like a sentence. Wives submit to your husband, but husbands, you better dang well be right. Da, da, da. I mean he's got like a whole list of stuff we better be. I think that's interesting that how qualifications for a husband is this, qualification for the wife is this. Like that's messed up. But that's how it is. If you want the wife to submit to you and you want to be the you 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 want this prize, by gosh, you better treat her right. You better be right yourself. You better understand what's being asked of you. If you want her to submit and be in submission and live in submission to you, you better love her like Christ loved the church. I think that's pretty explicit. We're to treat our wives as if they're the single most important thing in our life. We're to be willing to die for them. We are to view them as an extension of our own body. You take a shower every day. You clean yourself. You take care of yourself. Your wife is an extension of you. As you care for yourself, you must equally take care of her. As a matter of fact, the more you study the work of marriage, the more you'll see the greater responsibility is placed on men as the head. <laughs> There's a greater responsibility there. He must be willing to give up his own life. He must be willing to sacrifice. He must endure for her. A man's reputation, listen, is judged by how well he treats his wife. Period. I don't care what kind of man you are. Let somebody find out you're a womanizer. Let somebody find out you you beat your wife or talk bad about your wife. Can I tell you right now, one of the things, I didn't even have to be a Christian to know this. My wife will tell you this is true. As soon as I was in a relationship with Joy and it began to, we realized real quick, okay, this is going to be something I'm in for a long time here. Like, this is it. I found the one I want, no one else. And as soon as we knew some of that was happening, two things began to happen. Number one, I got rid of every single friend I had around. Joy, will tell you, I'm still friends with them. I love them, but I can't hang around. Why? Because I'm not chasing girls now. I'm not going to be around behavior that is. right? Number two, the other thing that happened too, I don't hang around you if you talk bad about your wife. Period. I don't have friends that talk bad about their wife. I only have friends that talk good about their wife. That's a choice. It's not that they're not out there. I don't care even if you've been in divorce or anything else. You still don't get to talk bad about the one you divorced. You married her. You're the moron. If you have a problem with that, that's the way I feel about it. Here's the thing is, don't talk bad about them. Even if they're there's things it's not like there's not things probably to talk bad about but again what are we commanded to do love one another that starts with our mouth sometimes our mouth needs to start speaking it out there just so our heart will follow this is how it has to be a man is required to leave everything behind him doesn't say the woman has to do that right makes sense for the first 10 years of my life when i follow joy and her family around but I had to leave all of my, you leave all, His Bible says a man's required to leave everything behind to join life with his wife, and they're united in one. My, my mentor's wife, uh, Rachel McKnight, she would say that I would always uh, kind of kid her. I think one time we were joking, and I was like, well, the Bible says that you submit to your husband like uh, Sarah did to Abraham, calling him Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, I'm happy to submit to my husband and call him Lord as soon as he treats me like Jesus treats the church. It's like, well, that's a great saying. By the way, I've held on to that ever since and used it in ministry, obviously. You know, that's not the first time I've said that, and I've used that saying. What a wonderful truth. I'm happy to submit. I'm happy to live in that position, right, where he is the head and the authority because I know he's going to treat me like Jesus treats the church. He's willing to die for me. He's willing to speak up for me. He's willing to take the pain for me. He's willing to take the nails for me. Right? I will I happily live in that part of the marriage if he's going to be like this, right? What a wonderful truth, right? I, I just love that. The church was the prize of Jesus' heart, and it's easily seen in his life. The same goes for the husband of any marriage. The wife should be the prize of his heart, of his heart. When you have a godly marriage, it's a, it's a whole lot easier also to have godly kids. It is. If you have a godly marriage, it's a whole lot easier to have godly kids. It's easier for a kid to be obedient, as Paul describes to the Colossians, when a child has a mother and a father that live in obedience and model obedience, and they model kindness, and they model patience when they're together, right? A whole lot easier to teach and train when they see it every day, right? Often wonder when we don't see it in a kid, is that just like an anomaly, or is there other things happening in the home that we never see? That's what I often wonder. I think the biggest thing I know for as a pastor for me uh, uh, having kids that have been around a lot of ministry my biggest fear is that I always uh, have really tried hard. The same guy you see right here is the same guy talking to you at your tables. The same guy that you've been to my most everybody here has been to my house if not everybody. The same guy, right? That's, that's, you get what you get with me and this is it. There's nothing hidden in the reserve tank I'm giving it all, right? My kids see it all too. I There's times where I've been wrong to my kids And I've had to go say hey I'm sorry the way I behaved Was wrong The way, and they need to see it when I say it to my wife too They need to hear me say I'm sorry to my wife And the expectation I feel bad for any boys that they meet Because that's the whole expectation right That I'm going to find a guy who's going to be apologizing For when he says dumb stuff Because a lot of guys don't like to apologize when they say dumb stuff It took me years to get to there It's taken me years When the home is good often other areas Can be good as well so Paul goes from dealing with these relational connections, there's obviously these issues, these platforms between being transformed or are they not transformed? This has worked its way into people's marriages. Do we see it happening in the marriage? So he's reminding them, listen, this is what a good wife is, this is what a good husband is. When you have these two good things together, it produces good kids. But also that's not the only place of influence where John 13 is carried out. Where else is it carried out? It's into the workplace. People see you there. Yeah. So Paul starts in as slaves, and while there's still slavery in the world, we aren't really faced with that here in America. However, the principle flies really nicely in the workplace. Some of you probably still feel like I'm pretty much a slave at where I work. No, uh, Truthfully, I can only say I've been a slave once, and I voluntarily slaved. And uh, there's maybe a couple other of us in here who've been a slave for a few years where you've signed your life away and, and you became a piece of property. I have done that the uh, United States Marine Corps. Uh, this is how you know that you're an actual slave and a piece of property. Get a sunburn in the military. You know what that's called? Defacing government property. I'm not joking. You, you literally can get in trouble for a sunburn. If it keeps you from doing the job for which they wanted you for, you, hire, you, jo- you joined, you signed with them. If it keeps you from doing it, that's it. They're gonna, you're in trouble just like that because you've defaced government property. You've damaged government goods. So, for real, the workplace is pretty close, like right? Once, once again, so we go to the workplace, we see this. Once more, the word says obey. It keeps popping up. Hard word, right? From marriage to parenting and now to where we work. Listen, I'm doing no good just to obey at home, okay? You know, right? I mean, sometimes it feels that way, right? Now I got to go there and I got to go and obey everything at, at work? Yeah, how we live out this love is bigger than we think. It's bigger than we think, right? It is literally, or it should be, found in every part of our life. John 13, this last minute, listen. He's like, listen, I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to do all this thing for you. I'm just asking you this one thing. Really. Like, hey, can you, can you if, 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 right before I die, will you just promise me this one thing? Will you just love one another? And you're like, oh, yeah, I totally got you. But I don't really got you. Like, I'm going to struggle to do this the whole life. I'm probably going to forget Out of all the Christian stuff I probably do in my life, I'm probably going to forget that loving one another is pretty important. Like literally was Jesus' last few last words here before he goes to love one another. One of the last commands you're going to see before it's time for him to go to the cross. Love one another. Love one another, right? How we live it out is bigger than we think. Uh, We must constantly realize that we're working for the Lord in everything we do. It's not just for men. There's a sovereignty of God that's bigger than this. There's a sovereignty of God that's bigger than this. Since we have... Kingdom eyes, or we should be having kingdom eyes. We talked about this on Sunday, right? We have kingdom eyes that understand God that's placed us right where we need to be. Sometimes that's not fun for us. Sometimes it is not convenient for us. All right? It just isn't. Right now I'm ready to be done with carrying children's ministry stuff back and forth. It's not convenient, but the sovereignty of God is working at something. And I don't know what it is. He is definitely not on my clock. I've not got God on my clock yet. But he's working something out, and I have to believe that. I have to believe that God is working it out. And you know what? You know, one of the things we even discovered with Job, that went on for three years. That's not convenient for Job. This whole back and forth between God went on for three years in Job's life, but it was the sovereignty of God at work. How could Job, you think Job was just like, well, I'm gonna wake up and put the armor of God on, that's gonna keep the devil off. Not when God's saying it's okay if the devil can come. <laughs> Do you remember the conversation in chapter 1? The devil goes, how can I approach him if you keep him in a hedge of protection? He goes, take that thing away and see what happens. God says, okay, I'll take it away, but here are the ground rules. Right? Great, God. Thanks for being my friend, bro. Right? I mean, just let's be honest. If we're going to talk honestly about the, the, the conversation that's taking place, right? But the sovereignty of God's at work in Job's life. It is. And God shows us through suffering how he's still Lord. How he's still God, and Job walks away from that going, my Redeemer's lived. Now, I don't want to have to go through three years of that just to say, hey, I, Lord, my Redeemer lives. I don't, need to, I don't need to find that out to say that. I can say that now, but I don't understand all the whys, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to. At some point, I have to be like the Hebrew faithful ones, and just like, I trusted even when I didn't see it, Right? So this is this is the thing. I I have to realize there are some things the the, the Lord's at play at my work. You know there the, there are things that that happen there that hey the Lord's at play. I don't know why it's happening. There's things I always wish were hurried up or slowed down. I wish we did this or I wish we did that. Well you know what? It's okay. It's okay because okay the Lord's at work. When it when it needs to happen it will happen. And if it doesn't need to happen then it doesn't need to happen. It's okay. It's okay. You know no, no matter what it's okay. Right. This is. This is, if we are walking in love and we are walking in Christ, right, then hopefully if we're trusting God, then he'll give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Like, how aren't you? By the way, if we're walking in love, this is where the John 13 walks in when we don't understand. It's in the moments where I can't figure out, you know, uh, say, say the room or anything else going over here. I can't figure out what's taking us so long or what this or what that. It doesn't matter what it is, but all of a sudden I walk in peace. Why? Because I understand God's at work doing something. There's something bigger uh, than, than, than me here at work, Right? Otherwise, everything would probably just go smooth and it wouldn't be a hiccup at all. No, God's wanting to slow it down or God's wanting to say, hey, I want your attention for something or whatever that is. Or, hey, maybe it's just not right timing or whatever that is. And how I live out my Christianity when it's inconvenient for me, how I live out the command to love one another when it's hard, says more about me than it, it's, if, when it's easy. This is when you're called to be the Christian. This is when it's, when it's hard. Listen, by the way, it's the reason he spends so much time on marriages and kids because if there's ever a time where you lose your ever-loving mind, it's when you're married or have kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, husbands, wives, think back when y'all were teenagers all loving up on each other. You never thought you were going to have some of the tear-down, drag-out fights that y'all have had where y'all said probably some of the meanest things you've ever said in your life to somebody. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe that's just me. But there's times where I know, like in in my marriage early on, compared to my marriage 20 years later, it's night and day. It's night and day, when we were in, in or when I was in my 20s and she was in her 18, 19s. Uh, I never thought, you know, to me it was just the, the the. I told her the other day it was just like the movies to me. It's just love thing like the movies. Like I couldn't ever picture anything ever being bad, right? And, and while there's been all these things that are obstacles that, that, that we've worked together against, right? Nothing's ever been in between us. It doesn't mean that we had not had some times where we completely disagree with just life. Like how I would approach something versus how she would approach something, right? And then the whole working out of the submission part isn't always easy either. Well, I'm the head of this house. Well, act like it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not easy. I get it. I get it. It's not. Everybody laughs because they've already had that conversation in their own marriage. It's not just us, Joy. All right. Romans 13.1 reminds us everyone must submit to governing authorities for the authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Right? So this is the sovereignty of God. It's working itself out in your life in real time. He's appointed you to be right where you are. And since you know this, and since you can trust God, then you can actively work hard at whatever it is, regardless of who is watching or who is not watching, which means you're just working with integrity, okay? Because you are working for the Lord ultimately. God rewards hard work. Galatians 6-7 reminds us that whatever you sow, you will harvest. So what are you sowing? What are you sowing in your marriage? Are you sowing longevity? Are you dating your wife? Are you dating your spouse? Are you showing, Are you having conversations and communicating? Are you communicating? You know the irony is if people spent as much time as they did with their friends and stuff with God, there wouldn't be no issues between us and God. The irony: we were built for relationship. We just have a hard time with one with the invisible one. It's truth. That's, it ultimately comes down to the faith part for us, man. The invisible relationship, the one where I can talk to God. And it's, it's sometimes, or more often than maybe, it's a lot of one-way talk. I mean, He's a great listener. Don't get me wrong, but let's just be honest. He's not the most talkative person, right? At least it's not. I mean, it's just it's not that I don't hear Him talk from time to time. I'm just like He just chimes in when He's ready to chime in. I tell you what, He loves to do, at least in my life, and and it can be whatever it is with yours. But what He loves to do is prove me wrong in mine. So. Like he's notorious for when I'm mad at something and I'm trying to justify it through the scriptures of why it's this way. And he's like, but that's not true. Uh, My word says da-da-da-da. I'm like, man, just let me win one. Come on, man. (laughs) It's so true. That's such a true statement. You have no idea how much there's a give and take back and forth between me and the Lord. Like, as angry as I am. You know how I know it's God? Because I would let myself win. All right? There's no way I would have a conversation with myself and where I lose. Come on. That's how I know it's the Lord. Uh, But whatever we sow, we're going to reap. That reciprocity is there for everybody. Even the wicked understand reciprocity, right? They call it karma. But reciprocity has been in the Bible since day one. Since Genesis, it's been uh, seed time and harvest. That just makes sense, right? So if you seed hard work, you're going to get the rewards of hard work. If you seed into a good marriage, you're going to get the rewards of sowing into a good marriage. If you sow into your church, you're going to get the rewards of sowing into the church. You're going to get the rewards. If you sow love, you're going to reap love, right? Right? You, you will reap love. And if, you, if you're the one hiring, he says, masters, if you're the one hiring and you're running your own business, run it as if you would under the Lord, it says, right? Be fair. Do right by those that are working under you, by the ones the Lord has given you. You know, I often uh, say a lot of times that I, I, I've never really prayed for a big church. Probably the reason we don't have one, because I never prayed for one. All I prayed for was people who would love Jesus and who would... I prayed for 12 it was it's so hard for me to pray for than more than what Jesus wanted. Jesus went after 12 people, those 12 people would start a movement. That's it. I don't need a I just don't believe that you have to have a big church to start a movement. The other thing I was telling and maybe it's a prophetic thing in my own heart too lately and the more I study revival and I've been very big. I think the I said it last week, purity, holiness, and revival. These, things, these three things are the things that I covet more than anything else. I think purity and holiness are going to lead me to revival. But one thing I am confident of throughout history and everything else, and this is what I'm sowing into, the reason why I spend so much time sowing into smallness, intimacy, and purity and holiness in those things is because revival is like a wildflower. Not one single time has revival ever come from inside the church throughout history it's a wildflower it does not live in the garden you know what you don't i can't find the seed that sows it <laughs> and if it would grow just under artificial rain we'd already pulled out the water hose by now <laughs> but it don't it can tell the difference between the water hose and rain and it can tell the difference when it's trying to be cultivated versus just growing out wherever the soil's right If you look at it, it's always the individual. It's never a group, never organized group. Revival never comes to an organized group. It always comes to small, something small, one individual, and then one or two more, and then one or two more. But it always is like a. It's like a. It's it's like um, the Sierra Nevadas. You know, In, in the Sierra Nevadas, trees are born in the fire. They actually, the trees, put extra resin over their cones. So when they hit the floor, they can't produce because there's too much resin. But some lone lightning strike will kick it off. And all the trees that burn down won't matter because there's all that resin will melt off the seed, and the seed will plant itself amongst all that burned fertilizer. And in the ashes of everything that lays... Of everything that towered up and was so beautiful, rises up the next. Isn't that interesting, man? That's how revival is. And it's—I don't know what to—I don't talk about something that perplexes me, and the more I think about it, and the more wild it is, and I want it so bad, and I can't find it. It's—it's it's just not something. They don't sell it at Barnes and Nobles. They don't sell it at the Christian. They, it's not even at Mardell's and uh, I can't find it anywhere. Um, but I'm hungry for it. But I guarantee you, there's no revival will, ne- will start out under this commandment of John 13. Love for one another. It'll start there. Why? Because that's what will drive. That, you know, what do you think drove the Welsh revival, the young college man who started the Welsh revival? What do you think drove him to that? Hungry for the Lord. Not just hungry for the Lord, but hungry. If you hunger for the Lord, you'll hunger for the things he hungers for. You know what he hungers for? You. You, you are the prize. You, I mean, there's a song that I wrote a long time ago that, that it's, it, I take the phrase that comes from out of Jeremiah where God calls the church his prized possession, his most precious thing he has, right? Think about God can have anything, the earth, the stars, the moon, all the things that he has, but what's driving him crazy is his passionate affection for his people. And if you love God, and you you end up loving what He loves, just like for me, I'm with joy for 20-some years, the more, I, the more we get to know each other, the more we end up liking the things that we like. You know, she bought some hiking boots the other day. We're going to do some hiking. Uh, I don't know if she likes it, but we like hanging out together. You know, she rode a motorcycle the other day. I don't know where this has come from. Midlife crisis? I have no idea. <laughs> I think it's just we have less kids in the house, and now we got time. I don't know. But... I will love to get a motorcycle and hang out. That's awesome for me. That worked out awesome for me. It really did. I, I'm not paying attention to you. I don't know who you are. <laughs> Be obedient. <laughs> but we will love what God loves. We share in the same passions and same likeness. By the way, marriage... And your connection there should share that, right? That we influence our kids. How do we influence our kids? Our kids are influenced by our, like, passions, right? And, and, and so forth. How does people get influenced at your workplace? Because they begin to be around you so much. And through your love and the way you are, they begin to be passionate about the things you're passionate about, right? It's all passed down, right? So John 13, it literally starts out. And this is what we're seeing in Colossians is it lived out, right? It started out with just words out of his mouth. But it stayed into the heart of those who listened. The transformed life produces a person that is carrying that command forward. And it goes into his marriage, which now affects his kids so that it's passed down now to another generation. Right? It goes into the workplace and it's passed down amongst coworkers. Right? The love you have for each other. They'll know you're with me. Right? And now now just the way you behave becomes the testimony of the Lord. This is what Paul's trying to bring out. He's trying to expose this to the Colossian church, right? All of this is just to fulfill, think about it, his dying request. The last command that we love one another as he has loved us. And in this we can testify before the foundations of the world who Jesus is, that he's merciful, he's alive, he is. All these things that we say he is, why? How can I know? But I see it in you. I can see it in you. I see it in your marriage. I see how you love each other. You know I mean, kids? One of the great things about youth ministry that, that even was good for our relationship is, uh, you know, I, I said this a lot. You know, the, the Lord showed me that I could be a father to a lot of these kids. You know, well, what's that mean? That means joy becomes mom. Right? And you know what else we did? We modeled what a good marriage looked like. So we have an 80s theme night one time, and me and Joy dressed up completely like the 80s together. Like we come in like we're a couple. I got the collars up, the whole thing, the shades, the whole... We did the whole school stuff, everything. And like we come together as a couple all the time doing things right? to show them. This is what marriage is like. We're best friends. We want to show you what a best friend looks like. Why? Because my love for Christ has poured into my marriage, and then my marriage now can be the testimony of what Christ is and who Christ is, right? So how we are together, even before people who are not... Saved is is still a big deal, it's still a big. Any time we go, there's never a time. Uh, one thing that, that you'll know to me, you know maturity when this, when everything becomes ministry. Truthfully, it means like when you go to somebody's house, you actually have thoughts beforehand. Okay, these like we're gonna talk a certain, we're gonna talk in a way that edifies and lifts <laughs> up and builds, right? We're gonna behave in a way that edifies, lifts up, and builds, right? These are these are purpose driven things. Why? Because my my heart loves Jesus so much that I want to share the fact that He is alive, risen, and is in my life. The only sometimes it, the only way I can do that is by behaving in such a way that shows my love for my wife or love for my kids in such a way that other people would emulate that. Man, why, man? I just see how good your marriage is. I see, how, well, what's doing that? Well, let me tell you something. Do you know I was a pastor? <laughs> That's usually the first thing I tell him because then it's like a gimme. You know, you're about to hear the whole sermon, right? You know. What I'm that's, and that's an easy way for me to kind of break in. But even before, it was just like, man, I go to church all the time. Like, ever since I went to church, and, you know, I tell him, yeah, man, Joy's like, so if I was going to date Joy, I kind of had to go to church. And I just wasn't scared of God. I didn't know any better. I was a dumb. <laughs> I should have been scared of God. God's never one of those, like, you want to fight fisticuff? I'll go fight fist to cuff. No, God's not going to fight you fisticuff. God will wear you down with life. He will wear you down with life and make you wish he fought fisticuff. Yeah. Like, you, how many people in the Bible have said, God, just kill me rather than face life? Seriously. Jeremiah, please, God, kill me. That ha- Elijah, God, just let me die. Like, how many guys have just rather, like, God, you could totally, like, if you want to strike me down with lightning and burn me to a crisp, please don't make me go out there and entertain these people any longer. <laughs> Literally, how many people are in the Bible like that? It's amazing. Um, this, this is the idea of what he's trying to do with the Colossians. He's trying to work on that transformation, right? And when that transformation is complete, we should see it in these areas, right? The reason marriage is a big deal, the reason it's not just so, that oh, that's Christian that you've got to be married and this, this is the way. No, 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 no. What's Christian is that your life reveals Jesus, right? And if it's not, we question whether you're ever saved in the first place. That's the whole first three chapters, Oh, you're not, Trent. Why are you talking like you're saved but you're not acting like you're saved? And Paul doesn't say that, which is funny because Paul is rough sometimes when it's time to be rough, right? Like he calls out Peter. Peter wasn't. He wasn't even living right. That guy was out there. He'd act like a Jew when he's with the Jews. He acts like a Gentile when the Gentiles rather than just be faithful to the word, right? I mean, he gives Peter a hard time and he calls out some people, you know, by name, Right? So for Paul to be so gentle here, which to me I think he is, when you spend two chapters or two and a half chapters preaching on transformation, it's kind of hard. But it's pretty—it's the nice way of saying I get you don't understand this. You think that you could just come say this the little sinner's prayer and you're good. No, no, no. If it's not producing a change in you, something is wrong. You're never going to have chapter 3, end of chapter 3 here and 4 good marriages, good kids, and a good workplace until that transformation takes place. That transformation takes place, marriages, kids, workplace will take care of itself. You can't have one without the other. I can spend literally six, seven scriptures talking about marriage, kids, and workplace. But if I don't spend two and a half chapters talking about the change in your heart that needs to take place, then none of this is going to matter. It's always going to be bad. It's always going to be rough. It's always going to be tough you got no hope. You talk a good talk, but you're, you're going to still find yourself in a works-based religion. That's what you're going to do, where you're acting out the tenets of the Christian faith, but you're not actually believing in them. Oh, that's bondage. That's such bondage. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning, uh, your word has been preached. Uh, it's been given, God. Father, I pray that uh, we would honor your uh, request, Lord, your commandment. Lord, to love one another. Uh, Lord, I pray for marriages uh, today, Lord, for those struggling in marriages. Father, that they would find their way back to you. They would find their way back to prayer and commitment uh, and maturing and growth, God. Father, I pray for children right now who may be don't have parents or maybe parents that are not in a way that is good, Lord, and, and maybe they're just not living right, Lord. I pray that they would find their way to godly parents, whether that's somebody in the church or a mentor, Lord. <coughs> Father, I pray for open doors for them in those areas, God. Lord, I pray for our workplaces, Lord, that the love we have, the love that you've given us, God, is a love that we share there, and we do it in a way uh, that represents you, of uh, correctly and brings glory to you uh, and not anger or misunderstanding. Use the seed, use the word today, God, to bring us wisdom and spiritual growth. Lord, that uh, we give life to new seed and we watch it plant and grow. And Lord, tell us when it's time to move out of the way, Lord, so that they may grow higher than we are. Father, give all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Love you guys.